This is Corolla Digital. Hey, you guys, it's me, Allison, from Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with this week's guest, Shane Dawson. Shane, why should they listen this week? Uh, because we talk about a lot of crazy things that I can't really talk about right now because they're too secret. Subscribe to Allison Rosen is your new best friend on iTunes or go to AllisonRosen.com. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. I love you. Allison's your new best friend. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who wants a really good diet lunch. Hi, folks, and welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And again, that terrific song makes me smile. I was almost falling asleep before, and it's a little warm here at the studio, but it just doesn't matter. That song by those terrific musicians, makes me happy, makes me smile, makes me joyous, makes me look forward to what I'm about to do, which is talk to you. And, of course, they get better every week. That's the David Hofberg Orchestra and the Regina Panzo Dancers, featuring boy tenor Wendell Stout, asking the musical question, would Groucho be as funny if the mustache was real? Well, there are so many layers to that introduction, but David and Regina wrote some very nice notes to us on our uh, Facebook. It took me a second to remember where it was because I had to check and look through the window at Colonel Jeff. Was it the Facebook? And uh, so thanks, David. Thanks, Regina. Regina. Whichever one it is, that's a lovely name. And... uh, What a question from boy tenor Wendell Stout. Would Groucho be as funny if the mustache was real? And in this case, with our musical questions, in this case, it's a very simple answer. Would Groucho be as funny if the mustache was real? No. No, he wouldn't. He's one of the three or four funniest guys of... Not only the 20th century, but perhaps the the whole history of show business. God bless him. He's just great in everything he ever did. And their history. Oh, folks, if you haven't really read anything about the Marx Brothers, read Harpo's book is terrific. But boy, oh boy, the things they did from being kids and hang on, hanging under the bumpers of buses in Manhattan to go from their area, which was not a nice area, and to go down to nicer areas where they could, well, steal money, essentially. Not steal it. That's the wrong word. Just uh, take things that didn't belong to them. No, you know what? God bless them. They were all, what a great family that was. But the simple fact is, would Groucho be as funny if the mustache was real? We're talking about the movies now. Groucho was funny in everything he did. He was hysterical as the host of his game show there, You Bet Your Life. And he was hysterical as a guest on shows. He was hysterical as a writer. He, he, he was just a great, great talent. 
But in those movies, as the Marx Brothers, in all the wonderful, odd characters they played, and in all the wonderful, odd premises of those movies, would he be as funny if that mustache was real? No, he wouldn't. Not in those movies. The characters Groucho played in those movies were perfect with a phony mustache. Now, if you say to me, or if I say to you, but I knew the mustache was phony. Yes, of course you did. I could see it was phony. Yes, you could. In the movie, in the Hollywood movie, I could look up and see it's a phony mustache. Yes. Well, why is that funny? Because it is. Or, I don't know. But it is. It's so much better to know that in those movies, he wore a phony mustache with all the other things they put on as outfits. And by the way, if you know, please send it, send it a note on our, to our website, which is LarryMillerPodcast.com. I didn't even have to look at the screen to notice, to remember that, by the way. I was looking right at Colonel Jeff. And you know something? Please send us a note if you know this. But when the Marx Brothers had their stage act for years and years where they traveled all over the country, traveled is perhaps too sophisticated a word for that. They had a tough groove they were in with food and hotels. Remember, folks, this was 1910, 1920, 1930. These were tougher times, especially for, well great entertainers in vaudeville or burlesque or whatever theaters they could get. And please, someone write into us and let us know if you know, did Groucho have the phony mustache in their stage act? I'd be curious to know that. But I can tell you, Wendell, since you asked, would Groucho be as funny if the mustache was real? In those wonderful movies, and those movies get better and better every time you see them. And in those wonderful movies, would he be as funny if the mustache was real? The answer is, with a great smile, no, he wouldn't be as funny. He was great with a phony mustache in those movies and in all the characters they played. Especially when, of course, they had to, as part of the plot, you got to go in to meet the chairman of the company. You know, they would just go in. I love that about older comedy movies. They could play anything. It just didn't matter. The guy has a phony mustache. They still go sit down with the chairman of the board, whatever it is they're doing, or the mayor. It doesn't matter. So God bless Groucho. He was as funny as he wanted to be and needed to be. And those movies in addition to so much else. But those movies are proof forever of how funny he and Harpo and Chico, I still always call him Chico, maybe it was Chico, uh, like a little chicken, but I still call him, I will call him, pardon me, Chico forever, and uh, their fourth brother, who was in a bunch of movies, by the way, Zeppo. And uh, but he became a businessman and an agent, I think, and he booked them and he was better that way. He was terrific in the movies, but he didn't love it so much. And it's even better this way. But those three, those three knuckleheads together, 
are funny forever. And especially if Groucho has a phony mustache. And by L.A. Podfest. That's right. This week coming up on the 28th. That's Sunday. And on the 28th, Sunday, here in Los Angeles. Come see a special live show of our show, This Week with Larry Miller, and many other podcasts at the L.A. Podcast Festival. And it's really going to be a terrific day. Colonel Jeff is producing the whole day, and, uh, of course, he's doing our show as well. Come see us and other great podcasts like WTF with Mark Marin, Never Not Funny with Jimmy Pardo, and The Todd Glass Show. Oh, Todd and I have been friends forever. And you know what, folks? Tickets and the full lineup are available for you at LAPodfest.com. That's just the way it sounds, L-A-P-O-D-F-E-S-T dot com. So come on by and see us and all the other great shows that are there. But come on by and see us. I'm really looking forward to that day. And Colonel Jeff and Dr. Chris and I are planning all sorts of things out for our show that day. Please come and be part of it. And by Amazon. That's right, Amazon. Still the greatest business in the history of the world because you order whatever you want from them. They will send you whatever you order and they send us a percentage of what you order. So everyone's happy. You're happy. They're happy. And we're certainly happy. And we take whatever money that is and put it towards our next big fancy fried chicken dinner, which is going to happen. Not right now, because I'm on a diet. And more about that later. But I will tell you that, oh, folks, you know what? Go go to, go to Amazon, not yourself. Just don't go to Amazon on your laptop or on your iPhone or whatever it is. What you do is go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. You go to LarryMillerPodcast.com, and we have a banner that says Amazon. You click our banner. I keep looking at Colonel Jeff through the window. Am I saying this right? I've only said it 2,600 times, and I still don't know. But we do. We have a banner that says Amazon. You click our banner, and we will take you there. Click our banner that says Amazon, and then go lie down in an easy chair and take a nap, read a magazine, go repaint, you know, one of the rooms in, in your house. And uh, you know what, though? We'll take you to Amazon, and you can order anything you want there. And by PayPal. That's right, PayPal. PayPal is still the company that's most fun for me to say. PayPal. What you do is, oh, they're a great company. And you know what? You can really help a lot of people by going to PayPal and being part of them and sending them money. And what I always like to suggest is go to your favorite bar in, in the middle of the day. At 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, there's no one in there. There's no one eating a meal. There's no one at the bar. It's empty except for the bartender. What you do is go up to the bar, up to the bartender, and ask him how much he charges for a drink in that bar. 
Now, when he tells you, multiply it by three and send it to us. And that will buy a drink for Colonel Jeff, Dr. Chris, and me. And so, you know what? That's why PayPal is such a good group. So, come to the L.A. PodFest if you're anywhere in the area. And that means within a million miles. Go to Amazon off of our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain, Tom Mix, and click our banner that says Amazon, and go to PayPal and join up with them. They're a terrific group, and we'll see some of that, too, toward our fancy fried chicken dinner, which always starts with a couple of cocktails. I will tell you about it when it happens, because it's going to be fun. And that brings us, of course, to, well, in a way, my favorite part of the show, it's our... Joke of the week. (laughs) Oh, that's just so great. Dr. Chris is playing those effects now that Colonel Jeff found and edited in. Was all that correctly said? And I've never heard those before. Last week I heard it for the first time. But it just, it makes me laugh. Because it's silly. Silly is wonderful. Remember, silly is a great compliment when you're doing funny things. And that doesn't mean just being a comic. Colonel Jeff is great at finding silly things. Like the photos on our website and on our Facebook. Is all that correct, too? (laughs) In any case, though, it's good to be in my favorite part of the show, which is the joke... Of the week. <laughs> oh, man. Comedy is great, folks. Isn't it? it doesn't, nothing else really even matters. If your building is burning down, well, God forbid, it shouldn't be something that bad, but it's still good to laugh. In any case, though, this is our joke of the week, and I'll tell you who does it and where we found it. But first, here's the joke. It's called... The Stud Rooster, which is, let's be honest, not a name you run into a lot, the Stud Rooster. So a farmer needs a rooster, and he goes to, well, an auction house in a big part of the field there. It's not a house. There's no building. But someone is selling roosters, among other different kinds of animals. And he goes up to the auctioner, and he says, you know, I'm uh, looking for a rooster. Uh, You have those? And he says, well, we have plenty. Well, I want a special rooster. And the guy says, pal, say no more. All right, say no more. Come with me for a second. And he goes, he takes him inside his trailer there. He's keeping one rooster. And he says, now look at that rooster. That's the rooster for you. That's the one you should get. That's the one in a million rooster. And the farm, why? why? What do you mean? Why, Why that rooster? And the auctioner says, that is a stud rooster. I'm selling him for $500, but that rooster is a stud. He, he's, he's a crazy stud. He's a never-ending stud rooster. But I'm telling you, he does everything just right. And if the stud part doesn't bother you, you should get that rooster. And the guy says, say no more. And the farmer gives him cash, $500, takes that rooster and puts him in the front seat of his car, gets in the car and drives back to his farm. 
and they're driving uh, down. It's a it's a two seater. It's a pickup truck, and they're driving back down the dirt road. And the farmer says to the rooster, "Well, I, I hope you like it, boy. I, you you sound like a, a great rooster, and I'm you know I'm willing to go along with whatever it is you do, whatever the auctioner told me." And uh, of course, the rooster doesn't say anything. He just sits there on the front seat. But they they get back to the farm. And the farmer says, well, I, I'll tell you what, I want you to feel comfortable here. I'll start you right out where you want to be, I think. And he takes him. He has a chicken house with 200 chickens in it. He takes him there, tosses him into the other side, on the other side of the fence there, right onto where that chicken house is. This rooster charges right into that chicken house. And the farmer hears all these chickens, 200 chickens going, and they're screaming and yelling. And they yell and scream and yell and scream for a long time, for almost an hour. And then suddenly it it starts to quiet down, and then it quiets down completely. He goes in there now, it's completely quiet, and he sees the rooster standing there, and all the chickens, 200 chickens, are out cold asleep, with smiles on their faces, they're, they've never been this happy. And the farmer says to the rooster, he, he picks him up and says, I, I'll tell you what, you uh, you sure do what the auctioner told me about, but I I, I, I hope you're uh, happy now because you came to and the rooster immediately just says, more, more, I need more. That's not enough. <laughs> what do you mean it's not enough? And the rooster says, it's never enough. Get me more. And And... The farmer says, well, I, okay. And the rooster goes, ah, get me more. Get me more now. And the farmer takes him out to the other chicken house he has, which is 400 chickens now. 400. He tosses him over the se- the second fence there. The rooster charges into the 400 chicken chicken house. Folks, the same thing happens times two. The chickens start screaming, rah, 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 and then yelling. And the same thing now it takes two hours. It, it just it, two hours later. And finally, all the feathers stop and they settle down. And all the and then and the, it goes inside. It's dead silence now. Again, the rooster is standing there just blinking. 400 chickens out cold. Smiles on their faces, deep, deep afternoon sleep. And the farmer says again, I, I, I've never seen anything like this. I don't know what it is with you, but I, I must tell you that this is really... And, and the rooster says, more, no, more, no, more, more, more. I, I want more. The farmer says, wait a minute. Take, first of all, take it easy. I, this, is all, this is all I have. You, you, this is uh, that was 200 chickens in the one first place and 400 chickens in this place and you just have more I want more I want more it's never enough I need more right now and the farmer says I don't I, I don't know what to do and he doesn't know what to do he walks out holding the rooster and he says my god I don't even know what you know what could possibly what, what, what kind of and the rooster says a farm it's a farm you have, have, a, have a farm you have cow horse cows horses everything whatever you have they're mules. It doesn't matter. Goats, lambs, anything. Just you get me. And the farmer says, all right, all right, all right. And he kind of jogs him over to a huge field with horses and cows and goats and lambs. Everything in that field tosses him over that fence. Folks, this rooster jumps on every animal in that field 
and every single and the, and the they're all just and they're all just going crazy. This rooster does every single one of those animals, and this is a big field too, by the way. It's not. This is not a little fun. This field is well. It's a mile this way and a mile that way, and the and finally when the sounds quiet down after five hours now, the sounds finally quiet down. The farmer goes, opens that third gate, goes onto the into the field and says, oh, "Holy mackerel! I can't believe this thing." He he sees him up way up ahead, like a half a mile in the field, and he gets there and he gets as he as he gets closer, he sees finally the rooster is out cold. The rooster looks like he is dying, looks like he is dead. And he's lying on the ground and his head in a hole and it looks like he's just bent. And the farmer says to himself, well, I, I can't imagine this could end any other way. That at least, And there are buzzards circling over the rooster and, and the farmer says, you know, I, I can't believe it. This is something I'll have to tell someone about but I, I i don't even know who and he and he bends down when he gets to the rooster and and, and the rooster's eyes have crossed x's over them you know and just and as he gets down he says oh, buddy i have to tell you i i can't believe you've done what you've done but maybe this is the way you you wanted to go and now the the buzzards are circling around this looks like the end for you and and the, and the rooster just moves his lips a little bit and just says Shut up, you schmuck. Are you crazy? Look, if you want to screw a buzzard, you have to play this game the whole way. <laughs> and that is the joke of, well, the stud rooster. And I love a joke like that, too, because, well, jokes are great. Good jokes are good jokes. But it does make you think. And that's another shaggy dog store. You can tell that and make enrich it any way you like with the scenes in the chicken house, the scenes in the barn, the scenes in the fields. But boy, oh boy, you keep wondering to yourself, what happens now? Okay? So this guy is still just pulling a bit. He's, he's faking out the buzzards to get them too. Boy, this is a heck of a rooster. In any case, this is I must I must have recommended this this site before. It's very good. It's on the internet. It's called Old Jews Telling Jokes. That's the name of it. Oldjewstellingjokes.com. And this one was told by Jesse Cohen. It's a very funny site. And I was telling Colonel Jeff before almost my favorite part of the site is that these terrific folks stand there. They stand them up with in a, in a background in a studio. There's no particular background. It looks like either a white background or a green background or something. And they tell their jokes. And then the people watching them, who are the people from the website? And they're running the camera and they're running the they're taping them telling the jokes. And they all laugh. So it's about seven or eight people who laugh. And they laugh sincerely. They have fun listening to these. But to see the faces on the people after they're telling them, they realize, Sam, that was fun to tell a joke to a group of people. And I want to shout at the screen, I know. See? That's why it's fun. So check them out sometime. <laughs> Old Jews telling jokes. And uh, 
That's a pretty good one. Jesse Cohn telling the stud rooster. And that brings us to my second favorite part of the show. The Poetry Corner. Yes, and it's fun hearing the theme for this, too. And that guy coughing in the background. It's another great find for Colonel Jeff. The Poetry Corner, because a great poem, remember, by a great poet, makes us feel good. It shows us a piece of life in a way we never looked at it before. And this one is simply called Sonnet 43. And uh, that that name is written, by the way, in the with the Roman letters of XL and then three I's for 43. And it's by the great poet and writer Edna St. Vincent Millay. And boy, oh boy, she's a, what a wordsmith she was. She could say things that, well, I could never think of to say. And this is, this is hers, and, and no, nothing else need be said this time. What lips my lips have kissed, and where and why, I have forgotten. And what arms have lain under my head till morning. But the rain is full of ghosts tonight that tap and sigh upon the glass and listen for reply. And in my heart there stirs a quiet pain for unremembered lads that not again will turn to me at midnight with a cry. Thus in winter stands the lonely tree, nor knows what birds have vanished one by one, yet knows its boughs more silent than before. I cannot say what loves have come and gone, I only know that summer sang in me a little while, that in me sings no more. Isn't that lovely? Bless her heart, that was just so beautiful. Edna, you can know almost in a way everything about Edna St. Vincent Millay just from that poem. And it's, it's good things to know, too. Well, I hope you like that one. And if you do, maybe you'll read that to a friend or a loved one one day. And uh, if you do, it's best to open by telling the stud rooster joke, I think. And then the poem about how your love is now lost. And uh, that brings us to, in a way, my third favorite part of the show. The Triple M, the magic movie moment. That's right. I keep forgetting. (laughs) Oh, man. Again, again, folks, comedy is fun. The uh, magic movie moment. I love, for comedy, for drama, a movie that you've seen 30 times, or even for the first time, but it has a scene in it, or a part in it, or some writing in the script, or a way an actress or an actor acts a certain scene, or maybe in the whole movie, or maybe just for one piece. But It moves you, and you never forget it. And every time you see that movie again, 
Every single time, folks, it, well, it moves you even more than the movie does, and you look forward to it. It was, uh, well, this movie that I'm thinking of now, well, it moves me in so many ways. It's Mrs. Miniver from 1942, directed by William Wyler. Now, this is essentially about an English family. Remember, this is the middle of World War II, and especially for them. They were in it, well, since 1939, and before that, really, as things were building. But they were fighting, and, well, and fighting well, and dying, and and killing the enemy. The Battle of Britain in the air, it was... It was They've already, at the time this movie was made, they've already seen so much and done so much. And Mrs. Miniver is a great movie. If you've never seen it, please do. It's starring Greer Garson, Walter Pigeon, Teresa Wright. They're all so good. Dame May Whitty, Richard Ney, and Helmut Dantine, so many others. And... It moves me. It's a look at the English of all classes and how they were fighting this. And how they, because it was very hard, remember something, as, well, as the the Germans flew over and bombed so much all over England, and they, uh, they, that sign that is popular in some, American restaurants now that uh, that says carry on and stay calm, and that was their attitude back then, because folks they were being bombed every night, and these bombs are really blasting them to pieces, and well, carry on and keep calm. What a great motto! But Mrs. Miniver, oh folks, please see it sometime. It gives you by great actors, a great writer, a great director, gives you a great look at how the how the English fought and lived in England at the time all of this was happening. And, well, there's a particular part of the story. There's a scene, and Walter Houston is off, and he's... And he's helping to save the lives, taking a lot of those soldiers, all the boys, off the beaches in France to bring them back to England in the middle of the night, all night long. They went back and forth. And, well, during a full day, his wife, Greer Garson, uh, playing Kay Miniver, is alone in their house there. And their son is a fighter pilot for England, and he's off. And the wife he married there, who was played by Teresa Wright, and she's off helping too, and everyone else off doing something. And, well, there was a German attack, and one of the German pilots was crash-landed, and he came into their house. He's banged up, and he's bleeding, but he's otherwise fine. This is He is played by a terrific actor named Helmut Dantine who was German, and but, well, led by Marlena Dietrich, a lot of Germans left Germany because they didn't want to be there. And they got in a lot of trouble. They were living under a lot of threats. But they came to America to be in show business, to be in American movies. And Helmut Dantine 
was cast as the German pilot. Folks, he plays such a great part, and he scares Mrs. Miniver and us watching this so much. She sees him in the kitchen, her kitchen, and he's looking for food and water, and he's describing what they're doing, and you you get the feeling from listening to him, what can we do with people like this? And the answer today, especially and sadly then, was only one thing, and that's the way it is. But he comes on so aggressively to Mrs. Miniver, and at one point he says, we have done this for the, for the Dutch, and we went here and did this. In only two hours it took us to do this and to do that. And and then he looks at it, and, he's, he's, and he's, he, there's a little madness in his eyes, and then he looks at Mrs. Vinnett, and he says, we will do the same for you. And she, at that time, for the, for the first moment, she slaps him in the face and just says, you will not. And... He, there's a moment there, and a small little sneer comes on his face, and he cracks her in the face now. He does it back to her, and she falls down. And the point is, there's a moment, and this is what became the magic movie moment for me. She is dazed and bleeding at the lip, and he is looking at her as... Her skirt is hiked up, and folks, there's a series of directing shots that don't have any word in them. We see his face looking at her, and then you notice his eyes move down just a tiny bit because her skirt is up, and he now looks back up at her, and his expression changes, and you realize, oh, Lord, this is really bad now. Something awful is going to happen And she decides to fight back. And she stands up at that point. Well, the scene kind of explodes because now, finally, some some of the English, well, town guards are coming. They knew he landed around there and they start to they start to look around. And the, the German soldier now actually starts to run off and they catch him. But Mrs. Miniver, of course, is very relieved because we, the audience who have seen this story, don't know what was going to happen, but we can guess. And it's such a relief. And at that moment, the uh, couple of the guards come in to her, and they all know each other. They live in the same area, and they say, uh, well, Mrs. M., do you... Do you want us to stay around here? We can we can set someone here just in case. And her reaction of no, that's all right. Thank you. I'm I'm fine. And folks, her reaction is to me and would be to you if you've never seen this just well, how do you like that? Get a load of her. That's pretty tough. And when her husband gets home, and docks his boat after all the astonishing rescue work he's just done. And that night, when they're together in the house again, when they say to each other, we know what he's done, and we know what she's done, but when they say to each other, anything uh, anything happened today, anything extraordinary? 
and they both say to the other, no, all is well. And they that's another part of their characters as people and as a people where you say, how do you like that? They don't even need to tell each other what has happened to them. It might come out a week or a year or ten years later, but it might not. And folks, that's why that moment, her fighting back, Greer Garson against the great actor Helmut Danteen, and deciding to fight back and not give in to what was about to happen, is a magic movie moment for me. And I think it will be for you. See it sometime. Mrs. Miniver, what a movie. And that scene, what a scene. Those characters make us proud to be watching them. And I hope you'll feel the same way. Please let us know again on our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. And, you know, it makes me think because they were... They were so stressed at that era. They didn't have all the food they needed. And as you may know, I'm on a diet. I've been on a diet. And, well, the diet is going really, really well. But the funny thing about diets, of course, is that I can honestly say to you, the diet is 83% perfect. And you might say to me, well, that's not... A lot, though, still. 83% perfect. You mean 17% of it is imperfect? And the answer is yes. It's, it, it, gets, it slips sometimes. That's why it slips with everyone sometimes. Because if the kids are home and my wife is, say, off working, and uh, I'm, I'm going to make something for the kids. Now, I can ma- I'm a pretty good cook. I can make anything. I can make meats and steak or chicken or fish. And I'm terrific when it says cook for 20 minutes at 400. I really am good at that because that's what I like to see on directions. I like to have directions. And I know that if I put it in a pan and it says cook for 20 minutes at 400, I will do exactly that. And the answer to the question, is it done yet? The answer is, well, yeah, it's been 20 minutes. And I'm telling you, folks, though, when you, when you, when you eat pizza with the kids... And who wouldn't? I mean, yes, I'm on a diet. But if the kids say, well, we want pizza, I understand that. You understand that. Who doesn't understand that? Because pizza, after all, is great. It may not even be good pizza, but just okay pizza or almost bad pizza is still pretty good. It's pizza. Is it great? No, it's not great. Are there places you grew up near that made really, really, really good pizza? I hope so, by the way. But it doesn't matter when you order pizza that's delivered and you order two large pies for the kids and one or two of their friends. Well, there's always going to be two or three slices sitting there just with plain cheese on them or maybe, well, who knows, maybe mushrooms or something else, whatever you order. And you can still make a diet meal out of it. Oh, yes, you can. And I do, because a diet meal is, well, so you scrape the cheese off and eat the cheese. You can take a new fork out and take one of those slices and just kind of rake 
the front of it and eat the cheese. And you don't have to eat the actual pizza itself. And you don't have to eat the pizza bread. And you don't have to eat that at all. I still do, but the point is you don't have to. And but the, So that is part of the 17% that doesn't go well. You, pardon me. Well, you that was the iced tea. But you, you, so you eat pizza with the kids. Sure. Why not? Who wouldn't? And sure, there are places around here that the kids want to go eat. And they're great kids. I, I, I love them to pieces. And uh, they may stop and say, hey, look, let's go there. What's a, what's a chili cheese steak on a grinder, Dad, on a hero roll? And the answer is, well, I don't know, but they, they want one of those, and it sounds pretty good. So I stop and I get them those. And then when, as long as you're standing there, well, you might as well have a bite of theirs or have get half of one for yourself just to eat what's inside. Again, it's, it's diet food, so you don't have to eat the roll. I do, but you don't have to. And that's another time the diet is imperfect. And you may know places that make, especially here in Southern California, we may know places that make terrific tacos, that have great Mexican food. And we know a couple of places that do that. So the kids sometimes want to go there. Or they want me to stop off on my way back from work and say, Hey, Dad, can you pick up some tacos at Taco Place? Or can you pick up some Mexican food at the Mexican food place? Well, sure I can. It doesn't mean that I have to eat it. I do, but it doesn't mean I have to. So that can still be a great part of a diet, even though, of course, it's not a great part of the diet. And I have a story to tell you that happened today, which is before I came to the studio here to get ready for the show and to do the show that I love so much. I had an audition, and it's for a new TV show, and it's for a good part, and I want to be great in the audition. I wanted to get the part. And you know what? I'll let you know what happens. But the truth is, I worked on it. I could have worked more. You can always more work more on something, can't you? But you know what? I got to this audition, and I had to park, uh, well, a few blocks away. And I walked there, and I had, I think, a terrific audition. And again, I'll let you know what happens. But where I think I'm focused, I think I'm grounded, I think I'm using all my good energy and good acting ability. And by the way, it took a while in concentrating because there was uh, the head of casting there was in the meeting, in the audition, and one of the producers from the new show was in the meeting. And there was a young woman who was working the camera because they always film these things so they can look at them later. And she was running this. And folks, she was very pretty. And I mean pretty in a, in a natural way, too. I don't mean like Vogue model pretty, where you see someone on the cover and you say, oh, boy. And uh, my wife would say, hey, she's really pretty. But not to me, because she's not regular woman pretty. I like regular woman pretty. And this woman was regular woman pretty. She was just terrific. Every actor like me who comes in there is going to smile at her and shake hands and then think to himself, okay, can't think about that. 
I have to think about this. So I had, a, I think, a terrific audition, and I hope I get it, and I'll let you know. But when I walked out of that building, I was on Laurel Canyon Boulevard between the freeway and Riverside, and my car was a few blocks away, and I started walking. It's a hot day, and I felt good, though, and I passed a coffee shop diner kind of place, called 4 and 20. I always said, folks, this is the kind of place where I've been planning to go in there for 21 years. Every single friend I have, parents at school, little league parents, everyone I've ever known has always said, hey, you ever been to that place, 4 and 20? That's a terrific place. And for some reason, I've never gotten there. I've never gone there. I pass it 2,600 times a week, and I could just go in, but I never have. And today... After a terrific audition, which left me feeling good and hopeful, I walked past it, and I said, why not now? It was a quarter to 12. I had to be over here at the studio at 1 to start doing the prep work with Colonel Jeff, and I said, why not? And I went in there. I can still have, because the point is I'm on a diet, and I was going to have diet food there. I could still sit in a place I'd never been to before and say, how do you like that? The food's good here, even the diet food. And I said to myself, you know what? I feel like getting a burger, not the bun. I don't have to eat the bun. Would you like French fries with that? No, thank you. I won't. Not French fries. I'm on a diet. And the waitress said, well, you can get soup, too. We have three choices of soup. And she meant the first two I didn't understand the names of. And I'm at a point, I was telling Colonel, you know, that now when I don't understand something, when someone says something, I don't say, could you please repeat that? I just, to myself, say, well, I'm not going to get that. You know, I, I just don't want to deal with it to say, I couldn't understand you, please say it again. So I said, give me the third one, which was chicken noodle soup. And I said, I don't have to eat the noodles. I can just eat the broth and maybe a piece of chicken and one or two of the peas. And then for the hamburger, I once again, I won't eat the bun. There won't be any French fries there. And it'll come with pickles and tomato and lettuce. And I got the model with mushrooms and guacamole on the side. And I said, now that's a pretty good diet meal. It may not sound like a diet meal to you. And you may say, gee, Larry, you're slipping off your diet. But I think that when I get drink a little broth, and have a little burger and eat, well, the pickles, tomato, and lettuce, and, and mushrooms. That's a pretty good diet meal. And when she put the soup down, I just had a little of the soup. And then I had, well, one of the noodles. You think at this point, what the heck, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a baby. I can have a noodle, too. And a noodle tasted good. So I had, all right, so I had the whole soup. The point is I had the, the soup with the noodles in it. And I had everything, a little piece of potato or two. I had that too. But then she, uh, then, you know, it's okay. It's still not a bad diet meal. And then I, she put down the plate with the burger on it. And the mushrooms and the guacamole were already on top of the burger. It just looked terrific. And I said, now, I will be the big boy I am and just use my knife and fork and eat the burger that way. But I didn't. I just put the put the bun on it and I said, well, again, I'm... I'm not a baby. I could, you know, it's it's easier just to put everything on it, the pickles and the lettuce and the tomato and which I did. 
and just pick it up and eat it, which I did. So I had the whole thing. I had the whole main course, and I had all the soup, and I paid for it. And I said to myself, I still felt great. I had a diet meal, though, because I didn't eat, well, French fries. I didn't, I didn't get any ice cream. I didn't get any dessert. I didn't have a Coke, which I would love to have had because I love Coke. I didn't get any soda. didn't get anything. Didn't have a milkshake. Nothing. Nothing. So I'm pretty good. And I paid and said thank you, and they said thank you, and we all smiled, and I left and started walking the rest of the way toward my car. And as I crossed Riverside, I passed a place I went to once, oh, 20 years ago. It's owned by different people now. It had a big sign that said, Texas Barbecue. And I said, you know, I wonder if, I'll bet that's still a good new place, and one of these days I'll have to bring the kids and my wife there, and we'll have, I don't know what Texas Barbecue is, but we'll have some of it. And then I thought to myself, well, you know what? I could, I should have used the bathroom in the other, in the diner there. But you know what? I'll go in here and uh, I'll use their washroom and that'll be that. And I walked in and it's empty and there's a guy at the counter and he slides a, a menu over to me. And I said, oh, no, thank you. I'm just here to use the washroom. He said, well, you know, if you like beef ribs, we normally don't have any beef ribs during the week, but we have them now. And I said, What? And he said, we have beef ribs. And I, I said, well, actually, that sounds, you know, as full as I was. I've just had a giant bowl of soup and a giant hamburger and everything on it. And I said, you know what? You're, maybe you're right. Let me have a beef rib. Just one, please. And he said, two is better. And I said, all right. You sold it. I laughed and said, give me a couple of ribs. He gave me three. But the point is, I sat down, ate those, watching the news on TV, which I hate watching, but it doesn't matter, it's on. You're eating tremendous Flintstone-sized beef ribs. And they were pretty good. And after that, I wiped my hands, and I felt pretty good. And then I said to him, uh, is the washroom in the back? Because the sign said, not for the public. And he was very nice and let me go to the washroom. And I washed my hands. And I did whatever else you do in a washroom to have to wash your hands. And you know what, folks? I I felt just fine because as I was walking back out toward the main part of the, the diner there, of the rib place, as I walked back out, there's still no one in there, but I said, plus they have a whole, a whole well, uh, refrigerator-sized with windows for sodas, ice cold cans of soda. I'm not getting one of those. I didn't get one of those. I don't want a can of Coke. And I'm just going to say smile and thank you very much and walk out. And uh, he said, thank you very much. I said, thank you very much. Give me a can of Coke. So I got a can of Coke. I was standing right there talking to the guy, and he's standing right next to the case with the Coke in it. So I got a can of Coke. It was ice cold. And you know what? I cracked it there, took a nice sip, and it tasted great. And so now I walked out again to walk the rest of the couple of blocks to the car. And I came here to the studio, and that Coke tasted good. And as much as I had had a big bowl of soup and a big hamburger and three gigantic Barney Rubble ribs, and you know what, folks, and a can of Coke for the ride, I felt terrific. It's nice every so often to give in 
and not feel guilty all the time. And I did, and I said, holy mackerel, that was a pretty good feed. It wasn't a diet meal, I guess, but you know what? It was good. And I got to the studio here, and I'm not going to have anything they have. Normally they have all sorts of things. As I've talked about before, normally they'll have, whether it's Cheez-Its or pretzel crackers or potato chips or chocolate-covered whatever whatever they put chocolate on. And you know what? I'm not going to have any of that. I'm just going to get a bottle of water in the fridge, and I opened the fridge, and there was no water in there, but there were two new Marie Callender's pies. Marie Callender makes great pies. If you don't think Marie Callender's makes good pies, I'm sorry. We can't be friends. They just make terrific pies. And I said, holy mackerel. And I took one out and I opened it up and sure enough, it was a new apple pie. And, well, and there was already a cutter, a slicer right in there on top of the pie. And I said, they might as well just come over and cut it for me. And I cut myself just a small piece and put it on a plate with a fork, and the plate and the fork were clean. And I said, how do you like that? And uh, after all the food I've just had, you've got to have a little dessert. And I did. And that's when Colonel Jeff came in and said, oh, I see you found the pies. I said, and you know what? It was terrific. And he said, all right, let's start our prep work. I said, absolutely. I was feeling a little dry, so I went over to the free soda machine and got another Coke. All right, I got another Coke. All right, I got another one. And I brought it in there. And you know what, folks? That's the way it should be sometimes. And you know what happens, though, when you eat all that food, especially ribs or something like that? About a half hour into our prep work, we both kind of went out cold. You're, you're just ready to fall asleep. You're ready to open the top button of your pants and just take a little snooze. It feels right to do. But just as my eyes were closing, oh, I was falling over. But we laughed about it. Stood up, stretched, finished our work. And so, you know what? And I didn't get another Coke to come in here and perform for you. I got a nice tea with, that has, I think, a softball-sized hunk of sugar in it. But at any rate, you know what, folks? It's good to know that, too. It's good to know that every so often it's good to break the rules. Every so often. And if you have an 83% perfect diet, that's pretty good. And you know the rest, the things we both know. Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. So, as always, remember... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to, and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over, and you've won. And that is still the truest thing I know. Be well. If you like the show, tell a friend. And we'll see you here next week.